we begin the lesson today, I want you to answer a question to yourself. What is your goal? Of course, right now it's World Cup Sunday, and you've got Argentina and Germany playing each other. And you know what? If, if, you, were in the, if you were in the team huddles right now, and they were asked, what's their goal? What if they, you know, if the newscaster put a microphone in there and said, all right, what do you want to accomplish? And the answer was, we don't want to embarrass ourselves. You'd be like, well, that is the weirdest answer I've ever heard. What if they said, our goal is to not be scored upon. Go, well, that's not bad. But you know, somewhere along the line, I hope your goal is to score one more time than the opponent. Because you can't win the game unless you do that. Now, the fact of the matter is, you have goals in your life. And you say, well, no, I mean, I'm young. I really don't have a direction. Uh, you know, my life path isn't all that clear. No, you still have a goal. It's the one that you are living every single day to achieve. It could be comfort. That's a goal. Think how hard we have to work to try and be comfortable. And I was talking with one of the older guys and commenting on how he went camping and he was just so excited to come back home and sleep in his own bed. You know, the older you get, the more you're just like, oh, I get to sleep in my own bed. It's awesome. You know, many times we spend a lot of money on our mattress. Because we want to be comfortable when we sleep. But we'll, we'll spend money on accessories on a car to make life a little more comfortable. You know, comfort requires money. It requires energy, investment. Maybe your goal is money. And you'll work hour upon hour upon hour upon hour Day after day after day. Working, working, working. Why? So I can make a lot of money. Maybe it's friendship. And that's your goal. Every day it's just about friendship. And I just want to have more friends. And spend more time with friends. Maybe it's righteousness. You know, in Matthew, Jesus talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Yeah, we can have a lot of worthy goals, but not be living for the one goal that matters most. And in Luke chapter 13 and verse 22, it says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. He said, well, what do you think Jesus was talking about? Well, it says, someone asked him, Lord... Are only a few people going to be saved? And you say, why do you think one of the 
people in his audience would ask that question. Because Jesus was talking about salvation, and he was talking about what it took to be saved. And you can just kind of see the wheels turning, going, wait a second. If what he's saying is true, it seems like it's going to be tougher than what the general audience might think. And so they asked, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us, but he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you. And you taught in our streets, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. You know, I notice a few things here. Jesus says to make every effort because many are going to try, but only a few are going to make it through that narrow road. You know, Jesus is answering this guy's question. Are only a few going to be saved? Jesus saying, yeah, you figured it out. It's hard. Being a Christian following me is difficult. It's not for the faint of heart. It's the exact opposite of what you hear in the society we live in. Society we live in think, oh, most people, except for the really bad people, whoever they are. We never include ourselves in the really bad people. But whoever they are won't make it, but everybody else probably going to. That is not what Jesus believed, and that's not what he taught. He said the majority will not make it. Way is hard. It's narrow. And only a few are going to find it. You know, only a few. Doesn't it feel restrictive? I remember as a, as a, a young kid having visions of playing professional sports. You know, when you're young, you really are convinced that you're so awesome. You can pretty much play professional sports in whatever sport you happen to pick, maybe multiple ones. And then you get older and the dream fades a little bit, and then you realize... How few people really get that opportunity? And you go, huh? Yeah, I don't think so. You know, only a few. You know, the sad thing is that Jesus died to save the whole world. But only a few will find it. You know, also see that it's on the owner of the house's terms. Yeah, we, we live in a world that is self-centered, self-focused, that we actually think we're in charge. And I think the younger we are, the harder this is to die in our own heart. Because we think, oh no, the world revolves around me. And so yeah, you know, Christianity is awesome, but Ron, not right now. Later. 
You know, Jesus says, no, the owner of the house is going to close the door. And at that point, it's too late. And you know what else? He says, you're going to come and say, hey, we hang out with you. You taught in our streets. They're going to say, I never knew you. You say, what's the equivalent of that? I, I attended church. I was here. I heard you. I read from the good book. Yeah, I was kind of in the know. I was familiar with churchy things. You got to let me in. The owner says, nope. You see, Christianity is on his terms. Jesus was trying to get his audience to have the right goal in mind. Who knows what they were living for? It's the same thing we live for today if it's not salvation. Jesus, the number one goal must be salvation. Because at the end of your life, it's the only thing that matters. Your life here on earth, it's a mist. It appears for a short time and vanishes. You know, the World Cup, it's the... It's the greatest television audience for a sporting event. You think of all the money. Think of all the hours of practice for the members of the team, for the coaches, the support staff, the trainers, all the different stuff, the production. I mean, they're building stadiums. They're they're working on roads. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Why? So a game can be played. A lot of work. Every effort has been made. It's been a four-year build-up. As soon as this World Cup's done, you know what they start thinking about? The one in 2018. They build the national team. So many millions and millions and millions of dollars have been put in preparation for this one thing. And Germany and Argentina get the chance to win the title. Jesus says, make every effort. You know, yesterday, the the bus that was bringing our kids home, the turbocharger on the big diesel bus broke going up the mountain. So if you know anything about diesel engines, I know very little. Uh, The turbocharger is what gives it power. So the bus barely made it up the mountain, but the driver called me and said, "Uh, Ron, we got a problem. The turbo's broken. So I made it up the mountain, but it would not be safe to bring the kids home on the bus. So I called dispatch. They're bringing another bus. Imagine as a parent if you got this message. The bus broke, so we're really sorry. And that's all you heard. You'd be like, Um, I was expecting a little longer email. Something that says, so here's the new plan. You might think, you know, you'd probably call me. Hey, Ron, um, got the email, the bus broke. Yeah, I know. Isn't that a bummer? (laughs) So what are we going to do? Well, we tried, but the bus broke. 
Like, you would not sit there as a parent and go, oh, well, bummer, I guess they're all going to have to walk home. Hope they learn survival skills at camp. Some of them, I saw the care packages some of you guys sent. They could survive a few weeks on the candy. But you would not accept that as an answer. You would have demanded more effort. Who said, no, something has to be done. We cannot leave it this way. This is my son. This is my daughter. We've got to get them back from camp. No excuse. We've got to get another bus. And we did. How much more your salvation? What stands in the way of your salvation? You know, sometimes we go, well, we tried. And, and you know, and, and, and it broke on the way up the hill. So, huh. oh, well. Okay, wait, this is your salvation. Make every effort. Is that something that we can claim? That we make every effort for our salvation? You go with my relationship with God, it's not where I want to be, so. That's, that's not okay. You say, I'm too busy. Work's too busy. So, uh, no, it's not okay. I don't feel good. Uh, it's not okay. There is no answer to make every effort. There is no obstacle that is big enough. There is no excuse that can be made. There is no reason that we can give. And one day on Judgment Day, the owner of the house, God, is going to hold us accountable. And if we are not saved, there's not any reason that we're going to be able to give where the owner of the house goes, ah, that's a good point. Go ahead and come on in anyway. You're either going to be in or you're out. Jesus tells his audience, he tells you, he tells me, make every effort. Remember where we started? What's your goal? There's things in your life that you actually make every effort for on a daily basis. You go, no, Ron, that's not me because I'm, I'm, I'm a lazy person. I don't follow through. You know what? It takes effort to be lazy. There are things that you live for right now where when push comes to shove, when the walls start closing in, when time or resources get scarce, it will rise to the top and you will find a way to get that accomplished. Jesus is asking you this morning. He's telling you this morning. He's begging you this morning. Make every effort in your salvation. You know, at the, at, he finishes saying that in verse 31 says, At that time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. 
Herod wants to kill you. Isn't that interesting timing? So Jesus is saying, you need to get saved and you need to prioritize it. You've got to get it top of your life list of things to do. You've got to clear out your schedule. And you've got to get focused. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, hey, by the way, ruler of the land wants to kill you. That could be, you know, a wrench in the works. What's Jesus' response? Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Now, the opposition was designed to stop Jesus in his tracks. You know, Jesus was living for salvation, too. Not just his own. He was living for your salvation and my salvation. And he said, no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. He said, I will keep going. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. He said, I will not stop. Why? Because your life is on the line. Herod wanted to kill him. I doubt if any of us in this room will ever face death because of our faith. There's places on this planet where people do. As long as you're here in Santa Clarita, probably not. But the fact of the matter is, they wanted to kill Jesus. And he said, so what? I will reach my goal. He said, salvation is on the line. So what do we get for opposition? You know, sometimes the people that we love the most don't like the commitment that we want to make. Because it's going to influence the relationship. It's going to change your values and who and what you live for. And they don't want you to be different because they like life, your life, exactly the way it is. And so you want to make this lifelong commitment of salvation. And out of nowhere, the opposition starts coming. Herod wants to kill you. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a teacher or a family member. Not everybody's going to agree with your decision to live first and foremost as a Christian. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul told Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He said there's no other way around it. But Satan, Satan has kind of turned the table so that if somebody opposes us, we go, oh, wow, what am I doing wrong? Paul tells Timothy, if nobody is in opposition to your commitment, are you really living a godly life? Because if you do, the world's going to hate you. Somebody's going to be opposed to it. You will be persecuted. Now, you can be persecuted for unrighteousness. That's different. But being persecuted for a righteous stand and a righteous commitment and a godliness. That's a good thing. Oh, it doesn't feel good. 
but it is promised that it will happen in your life. You know, sometimes the persecution we face, it's not really persecution, it's internal. Say, what is it? It's the battle for surrender. Because your sinful nature wants to run the show in your life. And to become a Christian, you have to trust. You have to surrender. You have to give over control of your life to Jesus and His Word. So you cannot still be in charge of your goals and dreams and become a Christian. You have to let Jesus be in charge of that. You say, well, I'm scared of what may happen. Yeah, that's why we got to do it by faith. Jesus is perfect. His word is perfect. So he's given us every reason to trust. But that doesn't necessarily make it easy when we're fighting those battles in our own life. So what, what are you facing right now? What's the Herod in your life? If you're studying the Bible or this is your first time that's come to church, what, what comes to mind of what, what's the roadblock? What's the hard thing? Probably not going to be any more difficult than Herod wanting to kill you. And yet Jesus looked without fear and said, go tell that fox. I will keep going. We must persevere. Ah, the bus broke down going up the mountain. But you know what? We love our kids. So just leaving the bus was not an option. Say, Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. Doing nothing about it was not an option. And he's imploring you, hey, you need to reach your goal. You need to set your sights on the right thing. As we close out this section in verse 34, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You know what else I see here? Jesus will not force willingness. He said, man, you are on my heart. In another verse uh, where they quote this, it says he wept over Jerusalem. He looked at all the souls. And he prayed for them. It was on his heart. He said, here's what I want to do. I wanted to gather you. I wanted to minister to you. But you were not willing. It broke his heart. Jesus will not make you have salvation as your top goal. He wants you to. He's begging you to. He's paved the way for you. He died for you. But it's still a choice that each one of us must make. Say, what goal are you living for? She says, make it salvation. He says, make every effort. We must go beyond the opposition. 
We must see it through to the end because your life is on the line. Have the right goal and let's reach it together. Amen. Let's stand as we close in a final song.